you need to have a realistic valuation done on that company. If you need $5 million to retire, and I say, you know, I value your company at two and a half million, well, we've got some work to do. You know, you need to build that thing up. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about what you need to know to buy, grow, and eventually sell a business. To help us, we're lucky to have Terry Lammers, a certified valuation analyst and co-founder of Innovative Business Advisors, as well as published author, recent book, You Don't Know What You Don't Know, Everything You Need to Know to Buy or Sell a Business. Terry, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So before we jump in, we always ask a little oddball question, just people get to know you a little bit better. Those that know you largely through work, what is one thing that you are passionate about that those that only know you or largely know you through work may be surprised to learn about you? You know, probably the one thing is I was a volunteer fireman for 22 years. Wow. And I'm still president of our fire district, the taxing body. So I have responded to a lot of calls and, you know, I kind of mentioned it in my book that I've unfortunately seen a lot of death and most of the people that I've seen didn't plan on dying that day, but especially what we have going on right now with COVID-19, very concerned for, you know, our EMS people and, and fire crews. I mean, we being on the front line unexpectedly get exposed to a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, so that's, that's probably something unusual that most people don't know about. <laughs> how did, did you mind if I asked how'd you get into, how did that come about? How'd you get into volunteer firefighting? My dad was a volunteer firefighter. We live in a very rural area. So our district covers uh, 90 square miles and we have about 12,000 people in our fire district. So wow. it's a stretch of interstate that goes through it. So I really grew up with it and, and um, you know, I was eager to join and help out. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So um, for for our listeners, how about a little context around innovative business advisors? What do you guys do over there? Sure. So we basically do three things. We help people buy and sell companies. Our target client has a company with a value between one and 20 million. I am a CBA, which is a national designation for valuing businesses. So we do a lot of business valuations. And then we also have a coaching slash consulting side to our business called CEO to CEO. So chief everything officer to chief. (laughs) So, and that basically involves three things, help taking people on a deep dive into their financial statements and getting them to understand them, teaching them their bankability, what makes you a bankable person. And, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about today, non-financial things that affect the value or sellability of your company. All right. All right. I, that, it's interesting. I, I can imagine being a business owner, you know, you spend, I, as a business owner, you put your heart and soul into it. And then all of a sudden you get to this point where you're like, you know, maybe it's time to take a break. And then the yeah. question becomes, how do you go about, about selling it? And there's one thing in the information that you sent over as we were, as we were getting ready that kind of struck me. And it's that, you know, focusing on gross profit and cash flow versus sales and net income. And that's probably a switch for a lot of people. So help us understand why that's so critical. The value of your business is primarily going to be derived off the cash flow that it's producing. And the reason I say sales, you know, don't focus on sales and net income, focus on gross profit and cash flow is because 
it's something I even struggled with while I was an owner and had a fairly large company. Is the bank really is the bank looking at net income? Or are they looking at cash flow? <laughs> right. I can tell you 100%, especially after selling my company and being a banker for a while, they're looking at the cash flow. So, you know, and what I'm talking about to get the cash flow is adding back depreciation, mainly adding back depreciation and amortization, which are non cash expenses. So, and especially in today's world, of accelerated depreciation, you know, if you have $250,000 of depreciation, that does get added back in your cash flow. Where I talk about gross profit versus sales, to me, it, it doesn't matter, you know, if you have $10 million a year in sales, you know, what are you producing in gross profit? People tell me, or, you know, what, what part of that sales is coming down to gross profit? And then what's, what's the end up? cash flow. Right. I have people tell me all the time, we're having a great year. My sales are up a half million dollars. Well, but if your if your gross profit hasn't gone up, you know, the same percent, <laughs> what's the point of having more sales, right? Right. Right. You just basically added more cost to get those sales and your margins are exactly, you know, exactly the same. It's an I, interesting balance. I literally had a phone call this morning. A person called me that's working with another company that's getting interested in selling. And I said, well, tell me about the size of this company. He's like, well, they got about $2 million in gross revenue. Well, okay. But what is their cash flow? You know, how much money are they making? That's where the, we're going to determine the value of the company, not on what their sales are. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And so when you talk about a company that in that size zone, like 1 million to 20 million, it's not necessarily always a zone where I think a lot of people think that an acquisition strategy they don't think about it. It takes a lot of money sometimes to acquire acquire companies, but you list that as a strategy for fueling the growth. And so, how do you know when does it make sense to acquire? When shouldn't you help us help help our listeners understand what those business owners are kind of thinking about going through? When I when I previously owned my wholesale fuel and lubricants company, I mean acquisition was my primary strategy for growth, and you know, and part of that was we was in an industry where to go pick up new clients was very tough. I mean, you go talk to, you know, tell your blue in the face to a client, he was using somebody else. But if I bought that company, I automatically, you know, we, we was very good at retaining 90, 95% of those customers. So it's just a great way to increase your, you know, here we're talking about sales, but to yeah. increase your sales and, and cash flow versus spending a lot of money on marketing. Well, and when you think about, you know, my, I guess my question would be is if you think about an act like a small business owner, 1 million to 20 million, and there's a lot of hats you have to wear, a lot of things that, you know, a lot of moving parts in that business typically. And then to put the focus on acquisition, have you seen companies where they haven't approached it the right way? And it's been become too much of a focus where the focus on running the business, you know, optimizing the business for those margins has suffered? I mean, it seems to me like it's a lot, it's a lot to balance. It is a lot to balance, but it's also, you know, let's talk about the HVAC, I'm, you know, heating and air conditioning people or really any business, you know, when you're that small, cause I've done it. I mean, when I first started, you know, when I first came back to the family business, we had $750,000 a year in sales and we grew it to over 42 million. But we went through that process of where, you know, we delivered gasoline and diesel fuel. So when I first came back, I was driving a delivery truck. And then after a couple of acquisitions, we got to the point where I only drove a delivery truck if, if, you know, we was really busy. And then it got to the point where you're managing those trucks and then somebody else is managing those trucks and then I'm really taken away. And that's what really makes your company valuable is when the owner is not involved in the company as much. 
So, but those are some, they are, there's some growing pains to get through that process. But, you know, another advantage of acquiring another company is you're typically acquiring other employees. I got a company we're trying to sell right now, which happens to be an HVAC company. And the owner is the only HVAC tech. And that's made it very difficult to sell that company because HVAC techs, at least in our area, they're kind of running hundred miles an hour and I can't get another HVAC company to take this company on without adding more tax. You know, they don't right. have the capacity, but you know, acquiring another company is just a great way to leapfrog you forward so that you can start putting things like that in place. Okay. So, all right. So let's, we, we, we start our business, we grow it. It's, it's, you know, we've gone through some of those growing pains. Maybe we've used an acquisition strategy to grow it out even further. And I get to that point in the future where all of a sudden now, you know what, I'm exhausted. I want to take a break. I want to sell my company. I wouldn't, I'll be honest, I wouldn't even know where to start. So what are things that, you know, business owners should be thinking about before they start that process of selling their business? We tell people the ideal, our ideal client flow is you need to have, you know, it's really, it's, it's about building your team of people. And that's what I talk about in the book, you know, who's your banker, who's your attorney, who's your financial advisor. So you are getting to the point that you're tired and you're thinking about selling the business. All right. You want to retire. Well, how much money do you need to retire? And do you have a realistic expectation of what the value of that company is? That's where there can be the biggest hiccup. <laughs> That's really, that was the center of the conversation this morning. Uh, it's funny that I had that call this morning, but you know, I'm like, what does this guy need to retire if he's getting ready to retire? And if the answer is, I don't know, you need to have a realistic valuation done on that company. If you need $5 million to retire and I say, you know, I value your company at two and a half million. Well, we've got some work to do. You know, you need to build that thing up. Oftentimes, and this is where the big red flag is, oftentimes what happens is all along this business owner has been telling his financial advisor that his company is worth $5 million and his financial advisor didn't question him on it or ask him where he got that number from, writes up a retirement plan as if this mythical $5 million check is going to come in someday. Then they're 65 years old and they come to us and I say, no, it's really worth two and a half million dollars. And oh, by the way, that's before taxes. Now you've just blown up, you know, their whole retirement plan. Right. right. Okay. So I, I need to, I need to figure out what I need to get out of it. So, so what's my next step? A lot of people might just get too focused on the actual sale rather than why we're selling it. Right. So, so I want to make sure I understand what I need to get out of it. What are the steps I need to get there? What else should I be thinking about as I'm, as I'm getting ready to sell? So the, the next thing I would say is your financial statements. The, you know, the main driver of value in that company, again, is going to be the cash flow that is spinning off. Your financial statements are the, you know, kind of the face of your company. So, you know, is one, do you have readable and relevant financial statements? You know, are they even done? I mean, I run into people that, you know, it's March and they're still trying to finish up their year end stuff from 2019 or, you know, it's October and they don't have their, their tax returns done yet. You know, so having readable and relevant financial statements and timely is a very key important part there. And then, you know, having your tax returns done and, you know, have, so just having your financial information in order is very relevant. It's one of the first things that's going to come out. It was, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be completely honest and candid here. As I was starting my business three years ago, I'm good at a lot of things, but, but finance, not, not a skill set that I possess or an area that I 
really have the patience for. So what I did was go out and find those advisors on the back end, the people that could do the back office stuff. And that was a, it was a game changer. It allowed me to focus on the business, make sure that I do have those types of things. And one of the things we talk about a lot, because we all run our, our own business, those of us that do what we're doing, is that you need to make sure you're, you're taking off your plate those things you're not good at. Like get get the help. So I like hearing that, you know, you need the team, you need the team to do it because it's a, there's a lot of things you have to master in any business here. And first and foremost is making sure we're all eating and being able to live good lives. Not, I'm not going to sit around and worry about, I just can't look at a P and L and try and put it together. I need, I need financial advisors for that. I need accountants for that. I get it. I'm not good at cold calling. And it's, <laughs> you, know, I was laughing, you know, looking at your show and, and kind of preparing for the podcast. And it's like, Ugh. Uh, <laughs> marketing. It's like, I hate sales and marketing. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm, you know, once you introduce me to somebody, you know, and I did that with my own company, I had salesmen and I'm like, don't bring me on cold calls. You know, I just, I can't do it. But if you have, you know, if you have a potential client that wants to talk to me and we're setting up an appointment, I'm all in it. You know, I'll be your closer, but I am not the guy to go knock, knocking on the door firsthand. <laughs> right. You're exactly right. So, all right. So we get to this point. We, we're getting ready to sell our company. We've done everything we need to do now. Now, here comes the hard part. And first, as an owner, you, you described a scenario where you were driving a truck and then you had to come back further and further into the management and the leadership. There's a lot of owners that I've run into that have a hard time with that letting go because it's my baby kind of stuff. Now you finally get to that point. You, you, you're ready and you have these employees and you have to tell the employees that you're getting ready to sell. There's the potential, at least I've seen several times, where if that communication is not done correctly, then you see massive attrition, you see a whole bunch of changes yeah. that will impact the value of the business. So how do you, how do you work with, with owners to help them get ready to have that conversation and make sure you're, you're eliminating some of the fear? Confidentiality is a huge thing, and it's just one of the biggest things that we fight, and it can come and bite you several different ways. But, you know, typically at the onset, unless you're wanting to sell the company to a key employee, you're really not talking to your employees about it. So, I mean, there's been many a times that I show up at a business to look it over, you know, during the day, during working hours, and I'm the insurance guy or something like that, because you're exactly right. Employees get nervous. My probably my biggest saying all the times I was going through acquiring companies is, you know, telling people to keep an open mind. It's like, look, keep an open mind because the number one fear in employees mind, if the company is going to be sold is, 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 you know, am I going to have a job? Right. So confidentiality is a big thing as far as, you know, say you already have somebody that's going to buy the company. You know, when do you tell the employees? Uh, it's a little bit of a mixed bag of nuts. It just, it, every situation is a little bit different. I've done it several times where we don't tell the employees, until the day that it, the transaction's happening. I remember buying one company where I worked with the, you know, the person that was in charge of sales and kind of the COO, the person that was running the company, but not the owner, a couple of months in advance just to prepare and how the whole transition was going to take place. You know, rarely have I seen a situation, it certainly wasn't that way with my company when I sold it either, that you walk in one day with your cup of coffee and go, you know what, I'm thinking about... So, the company. <laughs> so when I sold my company, it was, we had about 25 employees and it was kind of a unique situation. My company was actually, since it was being bought by a co-op, it was actually being sold to eight different companies. So there was a point 
that we had to tell employees that the, you know, we had the date that was imminent is actually April 1st. So it'll be 10 years ago tomorrow or uh-huh. Wednesday, oddly enough. But uh, we, we rented out a, um, a convention center and, you know, had eight different tables where wherever the employees were going, they went to that table and talked to who their future employer was going to be and, and how that was going to work. But that was very late in the game. Okay. All right. And, and is there anything that you would recommend somebody getting ready to, to do how they position a company for sale? Like how do they go out and shop it or how do, how do they make sure they, they put the best foot forward? Yeah. I mean, the first part, as far as positioning the company, you got to get your ducks in a row. You know, we talked about financial statements, but you know, if you have equipment and real estate and you know, no, you know, where's the, where's the maintenance history on all those vehicles you know, what's the loans look like? Uh, if it's real estate, who owns it? You know, and just all you think through that whole process. And that's why, you know, if you've never done it before, it may make complete sense to, you know, whether you hire a broker to help you through it or another important thing we'll talk about building your team, you know, who's your attorney. You should use an attorney, but use an attorney that's got MA experience. You know, oftentimes, I have to work with owners that go to their estate planning attorney who really right. doesn't know anything about how to sell a business, but they're not going to tell you that. They'll just <laughs> muddy the waters and, and make it very difficult to get through the process. The other thing I would tell you about even when you have an attorney, you as the business owner, you do have to make some business decisions, you know, and there's going to be times that you got to trust the other side, but you know, you also need to be, uh, it's just, you know, it can be a difficult process. But it's, but yeah. it's not impossible. And if you have the right team assembled, you can get through it very easy. That's why I love the name of my book. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> right. All right. Let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each show. The first is simply as a, as a revenue executive yourself, um, you are a prospect for sales professionals. And I'm always curious, what does it take for somebody who doesn't have a referral, doesn't have a trusted way into you? What does it take for them to capture your attention and earn the right to say 13, 15 minutes on your calendar to have a conversation if they believe they have something that's going to help you? You know, I'm very open to talking to people. I think what catches me on this is, and maybe it's because, you know, I'm from the Midwest or something like that, but I just the sales pitch where, you, you know, I'm, I'm just, I don't respond well to very salesy salesmen, right, you know, right. the, the upsell and, you know, it, it just, that, that turns me off. So it need, they need to be coming in, looking, looking at and trying to connect with you, not just coming in trying to push product. Yes. Yeah. Right. You know, if I see, you know, I'm looking for the value in what is being brought to me. I think I'm a very open person, but at the same time, I just, I don't respond well to very salesy stuff. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, professional services, people, one piece of advice you could give them that you believe would help them hit their targets, what would it be and why? Yeah, I read that question. And again, I'm not a very, <laughs> so I'm, I'm telling you I'm bad on cold call and sales, but I do think the one thing is persistence and there's always, so I'm telling you, I'm not, you know, I don't like salesy people, but you know, I've noticed it over my career that you still have to touch people. And that doesn't mean you have to touch them, you know, with a, with a big speech. You just need to let them know that you're there. Lots of, I could tell you a hundred times where I called on a customer and then a couple of years later, they're, they're with somebody else. It's like, well, you didn't even call me back. And they're like, oh, I kind of forgot about you. So <sighs> I think that is important. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. If a listener's interested in talking more about these topics or learning more about, you know, working with your with your company, where do you want us to send them? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Our website is www.innovativebaboyapple.com. Uh, we've got a pretty good presence on LinkedIn and our YouTube channel. So uh, you can find us on LinkedIn and lots of podcasts and videos and stuff on the YouTube thing as well, especially with what's going on with the COVID stuff right now. Yeah, absolutely. All right. the, the, the book has a website also, www.youdon'tknowwhatyoudon'tknow.com. <laughs> uh, so you can find information on the book there and download a free, there's 75 questions throughout the book. And uh, that was kind of the neat thing when I was writing the book, when I was doing those questions, it's like, you know what, if you can answer these questions, you've really learned something. So you can download those free. Nice. Excellent. Terry, I can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show. It's been great. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. You know the drill. B2Brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. Everybody's got a little extra time to listen to stuff right now. So just saying, maybe, maybe, maybe you should share this out with them. Until next time, stay safe and we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.